Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. Last session we talked about the wonder of God coming to live within us by his Holy Spirit and to help us to love. And I want to go into that a little bit more. For some Christians, the idea of the Holy Spirit is quite controversial and there's certainly lots of different ideas and uh, views around. And I must say, of all the things that people sometimes uh, dispute with me, this is perhaps the one that folks most worry that I might have a different view on. I don't think I have a different view, but you'll see uh, if you stay tuned, if you stay listening. So the context is John chapter 14. Jesus has said to the disciples that they're going to do greater things than he, and we explored what that meant. And he talks about asking in the name of Jesus for help to fulfill the great things that he would have them do that were the things that he was doing. And then he spells that out by telling the disciples that if they love him, they are to keep his commands. And we outline what love might look like if we're going to love like Jesus, because that's the command, to love as he has loved us. And when we get to that point, we go, this is too difficult. How do we love? And so he says, I will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And I want to just explore three questions uh, in this talk. Firstly, what does advocate mean for us? Why use that phrase, another advocate? Secondly, what does spirit of truth mean? Why describe the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth? And thirdly and lastly, what is the significance of him being in us? So we're going to do a little bit of theology and then that's going to help us with our uh, lifestyle. What does advocate mean for us? Advocate was the idea of somebody who stood alongside someone. That's what it literally means. It was often in a place of trial or a legal situation that you would have somebody who stood alongside you. And fundamentally, they would help you. Indeed, the word is uh, uh, similar to the word that's translated in, uh, in the uh, Old Testament for the uh, description of why... God made women to be man's helper, one who stands alongside and helps. And in this legal sense, it was someone who advised or guided. So Jesus is saying another advocate. And why is he saying another? He's implying quite clearly that they've already got one. In other words, that this is the role that Jesus has played. He has been alongside them. He has been guiding them. He has been helping them. He has been their companion. And he is going to go, but they're going to get another one the same. Another advocate is coming of the same role. And this advocate is described as the spirit of truth. Now, the spirit of is a phrase that is used 33 times in the New Testament. This is the kind of thing that excites me. If this bores you, apologies, just skip on five minutes. But this is the kind of thing that excites me because it reveals what a word meant and why they use it. So the spirit of is used 33 times in the New Testament. The, first, the biggest area is 14 times, it's the spirit of God. The spirit of God, the spirit of God. 14 times the spirit of God is used. The spirit of the Lord is used four times. You add those two together, it's a similar idea. 18 times the spirit of God. Five times it is the spirit of Jesus or Christ or the Son. 
So five times, it's the spirit of meaning Jesus. Now, these are not different spirits. This is really, really important to understand. This is just different ways of describing the spirit of God within the believer. He's described as the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of Jesus. Next on our list then is spirit of truth. Four times God's spirit is described as the spirit of truth. And we're going to come back and explore that in a moment. Once it's described as the spirit of the father. And once as a spirit of holiness. However, 90 times he's described as the Holy Spirit. So we probably need to say that holiness is the biggest concept. In other words, that this spirit is different, is not tainted by humanity. It's pure. It's not sinful. It's not the same as the human spirit. It's holy. It's set apart. So the spirit of God within us is holy. And then there are another of other number of other words that are just used once: the spirit of grace, the spirit of glory, the spirit of prophecy. So this spirit of truth is the spirit of God, is the Holy Spirit within us. What do we learn from these different titles about God's spirit living within us? Well, we learn fundamentally, firstly, as we've just said, that the spirit within us is holy. It's different, set apart from the flesh and the things of life that are um, tainted or damaged or sinful or selfish or broken or corrupt, or um, violent. The spirit within us is pure, is good, is of all the things of God, and is not the things of the world. It's the spirit of God. So God wants to live in us in a, in a different and holy way. And that is the same as Jesus. You can ask Jesus into your life, and you're asking God into your life, and you're asking the Father into your life, and you're asking the Holy Spirit into your life. So that is not a different thing. The Bible just uses different ways of describing something to give us the richness of what these concepts mean. So that our understanding of God's spirit within us is enhanced by the descriptions in different ways. It is Jesus within us. It is holiness within us. It is God within us. And therefore, it is truth. That the God's spirit within us is truth. So what does that mean? It means that the God within us cannot contradict scripture. So when we are hearing something in our heart or our mind and we're thinking, oh, God's telling me to do this, but actually it's in, in disagreement to what the Bible is saying, then it's not truth, therefore it's not the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the Holy Spirit cannot pass on untruth. So when we are gossiping or passing on information that we're not certain is true or we haven't seen with our own eyes or we haven't been given permission to pass on, that isn't God at work within us. That's the flesh. That's humanity. Because the spirit that within us is one of truth and will only speak truth. And therefore, the spirit of God within us will not mislead us, will not lead us down futile paths that proved to be wrong. So when that happens, that wasn't God. And we need to recognize sometimes that we're led not by God, not by the spirit of truth, not by the Holy Spirit, but by our own self. 
And therefore, everything that we think needs to be tested and weighed. Is this truth? Is this a true understanding of the situation? Is this a true understanding of how God is working within me? And is this a true understanding of the heart and nature of God? We need to test and weigh what we think is the Spirit and ensure that it's the Holy Spirit that is operating in truth. And so lastly, as we become more practical, what is the significance of him being in us? He says, look, this spirit, this advocate, this helper, this guide, the spirit of truth is going to live with you and will be in you. Why does he say he's going to live within us? That's not an understanding that other religions hold, that God would live within us. What's the significance of this? I want to suggest a few things. Firstly, that there is a significance around invitation. He says the world doesn't know this spirit. And it's not known because it's not indwelling in the hearts of those who do not believe. The Spirit of God is only in the heart of those who believe because they've invited him. They're saying, God, come into my life. Fill me with your Spirit. Jesus, come and take your place in my life. Holy Spirit, come within me. So it's important that there is an element that we need to understand we invite. He doesn't impose himself upon us. He will come and live in us. But he's knocking on the door and we have to open the door and invite him in. We believe that he knocks on the door of every heart and says, let me come in. And so Jesus is saying, when he says he will be in you, it's saying you need to make open that door and let him in. And the second thing about being in us is that that's a, an ever-present state. He's not visiting. He doesn't pop in for five minutes and leave when the going gets tough. The concept is one of um, house ownership, that he comes and he buys the deeds to us and he, he lives within us. This, we are now his home. We are not a hotel. We are not an Airbnb. We're not even an afternoon's visit. We are his home. We are where he will always be when we invite him into our life. And this is a glorious understanding that God will never leave us, that wherever we are in the world, we cannot flee from his presence because his presence is within us. Wherever we are, what the darkest valleys that we go through, the most difficult and painful things that we encounter, he's with us and in us. And even though we may feel separated from God, he has not separated himself from us. The third aspect of him living within us is that there, he is literally in our heart. Therefore, he is changing and governing our motives. Sometimes people imagine that the heart is about feelings, and there's an element of that. But I really think the heart is about motivation. What is driving us? Why do we do what we do? And when we invite Jesus into our lives by his Holy Spirit, we're inviting him to transform our motivation, our heart, our desires, our goals, our ambitions. He grabs hold of the heart and says, I'm going to make your heart my heart. I'm going to get you to feel and see what I feel and see, and therefore what you want will be what I want. That's why whatever we ask in Jesus' name will happen, because we now got his heart, and we're asking for the things that he asks for. 
And he's not only in our heart, but he's in our mind. So we find that our thoughts are changing as we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. We begin to think his thoughts. We begin to see the world as he sees it. We have ideas that come from him. We have prompts and, and uh, guidance to do and think and say and be certain things that we didn't have before we invited Jesus into our lives. So when he comes to live within us, it's saying he's going to take hold of the innermost thoughts of who we are, our motives, our heart, and our rationale, our thinking, our mind. And the last thing, which uh, I think is glorious, just by this idea that it is the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us. If the Holy Spirit is living within us, then God has decided that we are clean. Because the holy God can't live in a dirty, sinful place. And so the indwelling of his spirit is one of the most remarkable miracles that is hard for other religions to understand because God is saying, you are fit to be my temple. Not because of my own deeds or my own works, but because of the work of Jesus on the cross, transforming, cleansing, wiping away, removing the dirt, the sin, the selfishness. And because of Christ, because of his blood, I am worthy for Jesus to live within me. And many of us will feel unworthy and we will feel, why on earth should God live within me? Surely God only lives in the most beautiful palaces and temples. And here's the remarkableness of what Jesus is saying. For when we choose to obey him and we ask for his help, he comes to live. Because he wants to live within us. He considers this the place he wants to be. He wants to. It's not that he, he's thinking, oh, now I'm going to have to live around old Donald's place. It's a horrible old place to live. No, he's created me in his image and he wants to live within me. He's given his life that he might live within me. This is a place he wants to be in my heart and mind. And that's an incredible sense of value. That we are made holy that we are significant, that we are worth the blood of Jesus. He comes to live in us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, and it's incredible. We are unworthy, but we have been made worthy. We are unclean, but we have been made clean. We are broken, but we have been made whole. We are tarnished, but we have been made, uh, we've been polished and made good. So our questions for reflection. Am I seeking and allowing my helper, my advocate to help me? Am I allowing God in saying, come and guide me. Come and transform the way I think. Come and transform the motivations that I have. Am I letting truth shape me? Am I letting the truth of God's word shape who I am? How are my motives and thinking being transformed where is God changing me and lastly what difference does it make that God thinks I am a worthy home how does that shape and transform me let's pray together Lord we are in awe that you should choose to make us your dwelling and we thank you for that because it helps us, it guides us, it gives us a strength and a resilience and an understanding of life that we cannot have unless you fill us. And we are dependent upon you. Lord, we ask you 
to help us to continually respond to the prompts of your spirit and to live and walk by your Holy Spirit. Will you lead us and guide us to be all that you created and purposed us to be? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.